Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Formula One podcast, Final Corner. My name's Maeve. I'm one of your hosts for this podcast, and I have with me my co-host, Rainier. We had another eventful race with the Hungarian GP this past weekend to give us lots to think about heading into summer break. We're excited to talk about a number of things. A quick, uh, some quick highlights from qualifying, a recap of the race strategy, an update on our F1 fantasy teams, and all the rumors and speculations going on for the driver lineup next year. Thanks for joining us, and let's kick off today's episode. Before we actually jump into the takeaways from qualifying, I think there's one thing that we need to be three. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and that would be Latifi or Gotifi setting the best time and landing P1 in FP3. I mean, I mean, it's obviously important to note that it was wet during this this practice session, but it was still very exciting to see nonetheless. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it it is practice, but it's it's fun to see things mixed up a little bit. And, and I don't think anyone was really expecting to see that, to be honest. So fun to fun to have an outcome like that during during practice. And then I will say, you know, in the dry conditions, he did set a purple sector during the first sector in Q1 and then unfortunately still ended in, in P20. So it didn't make a difference. But <laughs> but, you know, there was a moment there. Honestly, that was so anticlimactic seeing him in the first sector purple and then ending in p20 (laughs) like i feel like that would only happen to latifi but as you said qualifying ended up being dry which i was a bit bummed about because as we've said a million times a wet qualifying does make things pretty interesting but i will say in the end the results of qualifying were still pretty great and eventful Certainly not the qualifying that I think I was expecting um, from my guys at Red Bull. And, True. you know, first we had a, we had this weird situation where Perez was told he, val- you know, violated track limits. And then, you know, his time was deleted from Q2, which made it seem like he was at risk for getting into Q3. And then they reversed the violation, give him his time back saying he didn't actually violate. Then he goes to set another flying lap and just, got blocked by K-Mag and, and caused him just to miss out on Q3 and, and ultimately finish P11. So it was just a, it was a weird situation, I think, in general for Red Bull. And then obviously, you know, Max uh, didn't have a great qualifying either. Once he got into Q3, you know, he had a bit of a lockup on one lap, which sort of just meant that it wasn't a great lap time that he was setting. Um, and then he had engine issues right before his flying lap, which just, meant that he couldn't really compete and get that final lap in. And, and obviously, as we all know, he ended up in, in P10 there, which, you know, P11, P10 is, is not where the Red Bulls should be, absolutely. Yeah, and with Max out of the mix for setting pole position, I was under the assumption we would see a Ferrari on pole, and then seemingly out of nowhere, George Russell comes in, sets pole without setting any purple seconds during his lap whatsoever. Yeah, George Russell, the type of guy to to win pole position without setting any purple thing. Exactly. No, I think you know he, um, you know it, it's well deserved. It's been long overdue for for George, and it's nice to see him, Mister Saturday, in uh, you know, in the Mercedes getting that pole position and and actually you know having a shot at um, P one as well, given he's in he's in much better equipment than he has been historically. So, uh, just happy to see that all around, and I think he was he was stoked as well, which is great. Yeah, I will say, I think it would have been interesting to see where Lewis could have ended up with a solid final lap as well. He actually had 
DRS issues. Like his, I think his DRS flap wouldn't open, which caused him to abandon his kind of final flying lap. And he ended up in the seven. So I don't know, like with his pace that he was showing on Sunday, maybe he could have set pole. No, I mean, I, I do think the Mercedes is are faster. Right. And I think, I think that at the beginning of the season would have been unheard of for, for one of them to be sitting on pole and, and then George was, and, and, Lewis is obviously quick in, in his car as well. So it would have been nice to see him set some sector times. I don't think I, I was expecting either Mercedes to actually end up being on a pole, but I, I would have liked to see, you know, obviously you never want to see it where uh, where it's a DRS or a car issue that's that's keeping someone out of out of the top. But I think that, you know, the, the upside of that is that Lando Norris ended up in P4, which True. I think we all love to see that. So Yeah, I definitely love seeing... A McLaren starting on the second row. <laughs> yeah. And, and especially Landon Norris. Yeah. But like also, you know, Daniel Ricardo, you know, he qualified his teammate by six tenths of a second, right? So he's clearly putting in completely different lap times than, um, you know, than his teammate is in, in this McLaren, which I, I don't know if that's him having figured out the car better or, or, you know, just Daniel Ricardo not being able to keep up with him. It's, it's you know a tricky situation, and, and we could talk about it. Um, we could talk about it as well when we talk about you know the driver <laughs> lineups and and how yeah. I was gonna say this definitely is a little preface for a conversation at the end of the episode, but I was happy for Norris. As I said, excited to see him starting second row. It's sad, but I was happy that Daniel just made it into Q three, which yeah. you know isn't yep. exactly the bar you want to be setting, but. I think we should transition to the race because we have a lot of strategy calls to talk about and then a lot of drama to talk about after that. Yeah, let's do it. I think we need to start this segment talking about Ferrari. Yeah, it seems that once again, Ferrari has boofed their strategy and put their drivers in a bit of a disappointing finish, especially despite kind of the, the strong performance or the strong underlying performance of their cars here. It's just frustrating to see. Yeah, this was super shocking. Rainier, can you walk us through what happened and what caused this? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think this, uh, I think just at the backdrop for, for really what happened here is um, that it just, it starts with a general understanding within the paddock that the hard tires weren't going to be effective. You know, the tra- track temperature was super cold. It was going to be, uh, you know, challenging warming up the tires regardless. And, and even during Friday practice when, when track temperatures were significantly higher, you know, the teams had trouble with the hard. So I think pretty much every team went into the day knowing that the hards were going to be, were going to be a real struggle. Um, so I think that's a, that's a bit of the backdrop. And then when you think about kind of the starting lineup, you've got Ferrari's biggest competitors, uh, you know, all opting to start the race on the softs, both Red Bulls uh, in P11 and P10, uh, you know, were on the softs. And then, you know, obviously I don't advise uncovering off competitors who are that far behind, but, but George Russell in P1 was also on the softs. Ultimately though, I think, you know, the mediums are perfectly fine and conservative choice to essentially start the race on the Red Bulls end up having this really strong start. Max and Perez climb into P5 and P6. Um, and this is really where it starts to starts to go wrong for Ferrari. Um, you know, Max pits on lap 16 and then Ferrari quite aggressively, pits Carlos Sainz on lap 17 and you know obviously presumably this is to cover off 
Red Bull and make sure that a Ferrari is between, you know, a Red Bull and the finish. Mm-hmm. But realistically, you know, Max is 10 seconds behind Science at this point. He started in P10. Max is pitting earlier because he's on the softs. And this is really when Ferrari needs to make use of kind of a longer lasting medium um, and put in a few extra laps. So that's, I think, you know, mistake one right there. Then basically five laps later, Ferrari brings in Leclerc as well, a little bit more in kind of the the pit window for the medium. So a, a little bit more reasonable at that point. Um, but you kind of have this period where both Ferraris squandered their initial long stint on the mediums. Um, and both of them are sort of forced to pit to the mediums again. So that's mistake number two. You know, Max pitted into when he, he does, does his initial pit, he pits into this clean air spot, makes significant time. And at the same time, you know, science is struggling for pace and Max just closes the gap relatively quickly. Um, and so he's only, you know, a second behind science by lap 38 when he immediately pits again. And then Ferrari, for some reason, get baited by the undercut again. And this time pit Leclerc, who's way ahead. Um, to cover off. And, and this is really the fatal mistake, right? Because they go, they go medium at the start, medium again on the first pit. And so now, because they're covering Leclerc, they're using Leclerc to cover off Max, they only have two options, right? It's a hard or a soft compound tire. They're too far out the window for the softs because they have 30 laps or so to go. And so the only option is the hards, which, like I said at the beginning, is a terrible choice. So the pit is basically called by the team too early. Leclerc easily could have stayed out a few extra laps on the on the mediums. He had the, you know, they made this decision uh, when he basically is on a set of tires that are five laps fresher than Max is. He's still eight seconds ahead of him. They could have easily ran him for a couple more laps. They didn't need to pit him right away, right? Yeah. And if they had run him for a few more laps, they could have put him on the softs right away, and he would have had he would have had plenty of runway to to take this off to the end and i think he would have been in a much better position it obviously wouldn't have ended up the way it did yeah i mean it's just crazy they're not able to manage this better and it makes me wonder what their strategy was going in at the beginning of the race without you know not considering what other drivers are doing like what was their actual strategy because this just doesn't make any sense to me like all they had to do was run in the actual pit window for mediums like they just had to keep Leclerc out a little longer and it seems like they're just so reactive instead of proactive towards their own strategy and Mm. I I think you hit the nail on the head there right I I think that really is what it is is they're reactive and and they should you know kind of have their own simulations around these these medium tires how long they can go on them it's shocking to me that they start on a different set of tires than Max and then, and then you know, pit to cover off Max with signs. Yeah. Exactly when he pits, right? If you're going to take that approach, then you might as well start on the same set of tires as Max. But if you're going yeah. to have tires that last longer, use them longer, right? Um, so, I, I, I don't know. It just – it was a bit crazy. Um, you know, Ferrari – Bonotto tried to cover it off after the race as if the Ferrari was just, you know, a slower car and that there wasn't <laughs> any pace in their cars and, and – that's a hot take. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a real hot take, especially given you know Leclerc was looking great in the beginning of this race, right? When he, when he was sitting on those mediums, the very start it looked like Leclerc, Leclerc's race to lose, and it was Leclerc's race yeah. to lose, and they did lose it. Um, apparently, you know he he also claimed that they had data 
that showed that the hard tires would be fine after lap 11, kind of once the track was heated. But obviously, the real-time data um, from Alpine and Haas, who were already on the hards, yeah. clearly did not back that up. So, you know, maybe it's a combination of them being either too reactive or too deep in their model and not looking at what's going on <laughs> around them. But it's it's, you know... It's absurd. And at the end of the day, science's strategy was a bit closer to what was ideal. Obviously, you know, they never pitted him for the hards. They kept him out a little longer on, on the second stint with the medium so he could go to the soft straight away. Uh, but he had two slow pit stops as well that ended up costing him the podium. That's so true. And I think the one thing that we didn't say was that Leclerc had to pit to get rid of his hards and put on softs because of how shitty they were. So... Yeah. I mean, that was just so frustrating if you're a Ferrari fan or Leclerc fan to watch happen. It's it's a bit of a bummer because it really looked like Ferrari was going to end the first half of the season with this morale-boosting finish. They were in a great position given that the Red Bulls were in P10 and P11 at the start of the race. They're not able to convert it, and now they're going into you know the summer break and they clearly have some soul searching to do to c- try and come back stronger, you know, for the second half of the season. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, I, I think it was theirs. It was theirs to lose and, and they did unfortunately. And so they, I think they need to evaluate as a team, how they're, how they're approaching some of these decisions. Let's switch to the flip side with Red Bull. Yeah. I mean, you know, Red Bull was obviously able to convert their Sunday from, essentially what started out as damage limitation to winning the GP, which was huge for them, something I did not expect the, to see. And I'm sure it made the victory all that much better that they came from, you know, P10 and, and were able to pull that off. Max literally did not only started, did he start in, in P10, but he literally did a full spin in the middle of the race and was still able to beat both Ferraris. And just shocking how that worked out. <laughs> that was so absurd. Yeah, I, I mean, in my mind, I think, you know, the Red Bull basically did the exact opposite of Ferrari. They, you know, they had their strategy down. They ran their own race. They weren't overly reactive to what other people were doing. Uh, I think crucially, and I kind of hinted at this before, um, you know, they crushed the timing of Max's first pit stop. Um, he was, you know, he was one of the only drivers that came out of that pit lane into clean air with no other cars around him. This allowed him to sort of, you know, get to work right away, right? You know, he had this – his start of the race was solid. He climbed he climbed a few cars, which was to be expected. But I think the beauty of where they pitted him was that he just had – he was running his own race with clear air as if he was a front runner. And we all know Max is quick, right? And so so they let – they gave him kind of that that runway to to get after it with, which I think was, you know, a credit to Red Bull for sure. Yeah, and I think one other place that we should give credit credit to was the chief strategist for Red Bull, Hannah Schmitz. She yeah. definitely oh, yeah. crushed the race strategy and how that played out. And Max actually credited her after the race for her strategy and also saying she just has an insanely chill demeanor, which you I really love. need to, I'm yeah, sure, yeah. to be a, a strategist, right? Like, I get stressed when I'm not even making the decision, so. <laughs> so true. I know I can imagine that pressure but I mean she clearly flawlessly executes on strategy for Red Bull on a regular basis I know she was actually behind 
the strategy for Checo that brought him his win at Monaco as well. But one interesting thing I saw in her post-race interview was that the team's plan was originally to run on hards for the first stint of that race. So they started on softs, but they were going to start on hards, which is kind of the classic strategy if you're starting from P10 and you're a front runner, just knowing you can kind of, you're on a track where it's harder to overtake, take the tires that it will last a bit longer and, and kind of go on a, on a longer first stint compared to people. Yeah. I, I mean, this is interesting, right? Cause it, it seems like they, they did switch those softs last minute. And it just goes back to that point where you, that you were talking about, about, you know, Red Bull running their own race and not worrying too much about where everyone was and, and just doing what was right for the track and putting yeah. the softs on. So Exactly. I think, um essentially as as to what you're saying they realized how cool the temps were and they were like the hards are not going to be the move and last minute switch to the softs which they said it was like kind of a game time last minute decision but the soft medium medium was definitely the best tire strategy of the day i think absolutely i think you know they they crushed it they were very quick off the line pass the cars where they needed to and then pit into clean air. And, and from there it was just, you know, consistent driving and consistent strategy to give them the race win and, and obviously helped out by, you know, the mistakes of other teams. So they pulled it all together in a shocking. (laughs) This is a good transition to the team that shared the podium with Max, the Mercedes of Lewis Hamilton and George. Yeah. Back to back double podium weekends for the silver arrows obviously amazing um the way this team has turned around their season just excellent excellent work on their part yes i completely agree and it was interesting i guess we compare the tire strategy between ferrari red bull and then um mercedes as well so george russell was actually on the same tire strategy as max he did the soft, medium, medium. But Lewis was kind of on the flip side of that, the opposite, I guess you could say. So he went medium, medium, soft. Yeah, I, I mean, the soft for George at the start of the race uh, seemed to make sense, I think, um, because he had the two quick Ferraris behind him that he needed to keep behind him. Uh, while Hamilton probably wanted something slightly longer lasting since he was since he was a little bit further back, I think ultimately, you know, it's, it was about the stints that you're doing on each of these segments. And it's the same combination of tires, right? Two mediums and a soft right. was sort of what's, what's working out. Um, and I think that, I, I think that when you're racing your clean race and you're doing, uh, you know, the, the right set of tires for that race, I think, I think things, things tend to pan out in a pretty okay way and obviously for George they made the decision that it was more important to kind of hold that lead early on and then for Lewis uh, they wanted to give him a little more runway at the beginning of the race so makes sense for each of them I think yeah no that's a good point same combination of tires not none of those people use the hards which was probably pretty (laughs) critical um George honestly did a great job holding back the Ferraris for the first part of the race. Hamilton had major pace during the second half of the race when he was on the softs. I honestly was pretty excited to see Mercedes double podium again. I was rooting for it the whole second half of the race. Yeah, I'm sure you were. I mean, I love how, (laughs) I love how people are really rooting for these, 
these Mercedes double podiums when this was the last thing people wanted last season. But uh, <laughs> that's but, true. Oh, how, oh, how quickly you know the the tides can change on that. That's so true. I, I mean, I'm sure if they keep this up, the novelty of it will wear off. I think it's just exciting for something other than the norm. Um, but I mean, I think from where they were at the start of the season, a two three feels super impressive, but. I don't know. I feel like they should have been able to win the race with Ferrari shooting themselves in the foot and then Red Bull and Max so far behind. I guess to be fair, Lewis started in seventh and Max started in 10th, 10th. But so, you know, they were a bit closer, but still like, you know, why were they not able to win? Was it getting too caught up with the Ferraris? Was it just their pace isn't as good? Like, do you have any opinions on this? Yeah, I, I think uh, – I do think it comes down to pace. I think, um, you know, like I said before, Max sort of w- had this opportunity to run a race like he was a race leader despite kind of being in this P10 starting position. And so he's he's got a little bit of traffic at the very beginning, but he honestly doesn't drift too far back when he's, you know, climbing his way up into P5. So he's he's holding on pretty closely – to George and then he does that initial pit into the clean air and it sort of can run with his race um, in a really elegant way. And I think that, you know, the, the Red Bulls do have more pace than the Mercedes do. The Mercedes are certainly a better car than they were at the start of the season, but they're not nearly as quick as the Red Bulls are. So I, that's what I think is the, is the driving factor in the end. Um, but I we'll see, uh, we'll see whether or not Mercedes had a, had a different view when their, yeah. when their strategy report comes out. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a fair point and makes sense. Um, after this race, Mercedes and Ferrari are tied for the same number of podium finishes this year with 11 podiums, which, again, I don't think anyone was expecting at the outset of this season. Yeah, and I, I mean, I said this at one, uh, episode one or episode two, you know, don't count Mercedes out, right? These guys, These guys know how to create a championship-winning First of all, they have a championship-winning team, right? So they have all the yeah. pieces together to to do effective strategy, which is more than can be said for Ferrari. And they might not have, have a championship-winning car at the beginning of the season, but you can count on them to get better and better and better every single weekend. Notably, I think one of the interesting things is you don't see like a huge drastic change in the Mercedes. It seems like they're very big yeah. on kind of the iterative design and slowly but surely improving their car and making it better each and every weekend um and i think that's a you know that's a that's a good mentality for the team to have for them to be built be able to build on the momentum you know that they have as a team so yeah i mean i will hand it to you you did say (laughs) that about mercy you have been saying this about mercedes and every race weekend it becomes a more and more true and apparent Mercedes are only 30 points behind Ferrari in the Constructors' Championship. And I'm now going to ask what I feel like a lot of people have been asking and we've been asking in in previous episodes. Can Mercedes beat Ferrari and finish second in the Constructors' Championship? Yeah, I, I, you know, I'd say the odds are in Mercedes' favor at this point. I wouldn't have said yeah. that a few races ago. Um, I think the, the Ferrari was clearly the faster car. Ferrari have struggled a lot the pressures on Leclerc to perform um the team is going to go in to this you know to the summer break and and 
they're going to do some evaluating and hopefully come out a better team. But I think, you know, I think it's gotten to the point where the Mercedes is close enough to be fighting with these guys on a regular basis. George was sitting on pole and, and obviously both Mercedes beat both Ferraris this weekend, uh, even with, with Lewis and his DRS issues in qualifying. And so, you know, I, I think the odds are in Mercedes' favor. And if I were a betting man, that's where I'd put my money. Damn. You heard it here first. Let's see if Rainier can make any money off of this. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I I tend to agree with you here, actually. Like, I think it's definitely possible. And I've literally seen people talking about, can Lewis Hamilton win the championship? I think that might be a little far off, uh, given how well Max is performing. But, I mean, Lewis, I think, can end up pretty well at the end of the Drivers' Championship, even though he didn't have the best first quarter of the season i guess we'll say yep agreed should we discuss some moments from some of the other teams that are not in the top three yeah yeah we absolutely should i think there were a couple moments at least in my mind that that stick out yeah i think one moment for daniel ricardo doing that super impressive double of the two alpines yeah so iconic like this is why teams shouldn't shouldn't allow their drivers to fight with each other but honestly i'm all for it i mean here for the fans (laughs) exactly um laren decides to pit daniel ricardo and give him hards which as we've talked about not a great decision during the race and his his tires were not heating up well he locks up and then he hits lance stroll which gets him a five-second time penalty and takes him completely out of the points, which was just, I mean, not great to see for him personally, not ideal for McLaren's fight against Alpine. That was just such a bummer to have that iconic moment and then end end your race that way. Yeah, no, I it, it's heartbreaking, especially because the guy is, you know, obviously fighting for a seat. And so um, some good driving and some, some not so good decisions which unfortunately you know start to look like not so good driving when uh when you have a season that hasn't been filled with great performances so uh that's a tough spot for him to be in i think you know maybe on a on a happier note here uh, <laughs> i think a highlight for me was was seb going from p18 um obviously a, a pretty tough qualifying to getting in the points p10 um you know, obviously this comes on the back of, of him announcing his retirement. So it was just, you know, great to see him out there, elbows out, still fighting for places and, and still, you know, beating his teammates, showing that he's still the Seb we've always yeah. Know, loved. Yeah, no, that was a great way to end the race weekend for Seb. Love that he beat Lance Stroll by one place. So definitely <laughs> fighting for that for that championship point. And I'm excited to see him race for the for the rest of the season. Absolutely. And we'll miss him when he's gone. Let's transition to what is my favorite part of the podcast because I love beating you, our F1 fantasy. Yeah, it's uh it's quickly becoming my least favorite part. Um so glad to <laughs> glad to hear you're getting a lot of enjoyment out of it. I will start because I think that uh you most likely beat me again this week. Um so obviously for Stappen had a great weekend scored a solid 55 points, um, uh-huh. you know, got 25 points for first, gained five spots or gained 10 points for that. You know, he's on a race streak. So he got 55 points. Perez got 46 points. Botox. Wow. 
Wait, Perez is your turbo driver? Yeah, well, 46 after the turbo, so 23. Got it. Um, which makes a little more sense given he, you know, finished fifth and not first. Um, and then, you know, Botas, minus one, which was a bummer. Hmm. Uh, Guan Yu had four points. Um, he, you know, he lost a place during the race, finished in Q2, but it wasn't great. And then Schumacher... Uh, got eight points, I guess. He beat his nice. teammate. You know, he beat, beat K-Mag. Um, he had a Q2 finish, and he, and he gained some positions during the race. So, you know, he had a somewhat decent race. And then Ferrari's my constructor, uh, so they got 35 points, and it's just been it's been tough to watch for with them out there. That's they, seemed like, they seemed like a solid constructor to have on your team, and slowly but surely just... I'm surprised you actually didn't change. Yeah, that clearly worked out for me last season, and it probably would have worked out for me this season if I had uh, kept it. If I, if yeah, if I had kept it, or if I had found a way, found a way to um, price wise do a, it. Yeah, exactly. That's the real issue is is you can't afford any other driver if you That's do it that fair. way. What? So I ended up with 147. What did you get? <sighs> I wish you could see my face. Why I'm did upset. I do yeah amazing <laughs> you literally like you literally were like purposely being trying to set me up for this by being like you definitely beat I mean, me how did you get how did you get 140 like how did yeah like, I, I'll how did tell you, you not I'll... get that many points and think you were gonna win this weekend well I don't know because the 140s I always... aren't gonna cut it I know but other weekends I thought my points were terrible and I still beat you so I don't know. I guess the tide's turning, but um, so I have Perez on my team. So he got twenty three points, but he's not my turbo driver. Signs is my turbo driver, and he got fifty two points. Oh wow! Be- yeah. So I mean, honestly, better than expected, given that yeah, he kind of lost race Perez. positions. But then Daniel Ricardo negative four points. So yep. that's tough the negative hurts and then alonzo again great person to have on your team 12 points kevin magnuson negative one point because he literally got negative six points for race positions lost he had a pretty rough race so he got negative one point and then red bull is my constructor with 63 points they literally had almost double the points of ferrari as the constructor so that yeah Helped me, and I ended with 145. That's tough. I'm sure that hurts. That, yeah, like, you were, like, 140, and I was like, oh, shoot, and then you said <laughs> seven. <laughs> I am shocked. I think this is well, only, you know, only my second weekend losing, though, so I'm okay with it. Yeah, but it, I think it's second weekend in a row. No. I, mean, I definitely beat you last weekend. That's an interesting take there. I don't think so. All but right. we, uh, well, we're going we... to have to replay the, the audio and find out. Yeah, you can do some due diligence. And if I don't hear back from you, I know I beat you. Um, <laughs> so let me know. Sounds good. Not one day into summer break and silly season. And there's news and rumors flying around about the driver lineup for next year. Yeah, I mean, it's honestly hard to keep up with everything, just given how quickly the news is changing. By the time people are listening to this, it's it'll probably be different than than what we're saying here. But I think it's I think it's worth going over everything that's you know happened to this point already. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think, I mean, the big bomb that was dropped that kind of created a lot of uh, further carnage, I guess I'd say, was Alonzo announcing on Monday, less than 24 hours post-race, that he is going to be moving from Alpine to Aston Martin for 2023, which honestly was not a move that I saw coming. Yeah, I, I think that's interesting. I'm sure they offered him an, a nice chunk of change to make that transition. <laughs> Fair. He's been he's he's been racing really well this season. I think Aston Martin is a team that that will absolutely be fighting with Alpine next year. Alpine's in a better spot right now, but I don't. I I think it's not a terrible uh, career move from Alonso's perspective. He also wasn't getting, um, you know, wasn't getting kind of the credit that he wanted to get at Alpine. Um, we can talk about Alpine's reserve driver Oscar. Piastri um but you know it seems like it seems like Alpine just didn't give him kind of the the long-term contract that he wanted uh because of their reserve driver and so Alonso pretty quickly showed what he was worth and 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 you know now Aston Martin has locked down locked down their second driver shortly after losing yeah yeah I mean I think the surprising part here is that apparently and I mean who knows if this is true or not but Alpine's team principal Otmar found out about this move via the press release um, and basically was under the assumption that Alonso was going to be staying with Alpine into 2023 which super savage of Alonso if if that's the case but also like he has to do what's best for him at the end of the day not the team I think a lot of people are saying like dude Aston Martin is not a great team right now. They're literally second to last, I think, in the constructors while you're, you know, on a team that's fighting for best of the rest. I guess the thought is that Aston Martin's probably going to be making a lot more progress on their car. But I don't know. From that perspective, I think it is an interesting decision. But clearly he thinks – I don't think he'd actively go race for a team that he thinks is going to not be doing great. So – I don't know. Yeah, I I kind of agree. And and I think the timing, you know, the fact that Otmar was was surprised by it, it sort of indicates to me that, and, uh, you know, Aston Martin has the benefit of, of visibility. My guess is they knew, they knew, they had some lead time on the fact that Vettel was leaving. Yeah. And used that lead time to appropriately court, um, to appropriately court Alonso. And so, you know, I think that that's what made all this move so quickly is that, in the background, these talks were already lined up. Um, and just surprising that it caught Alpine so uh, so on the wrong foot. Yeah, no, exactly. And as I said, Al- Alonso's announcement is yeah. where things start to get even spicier. So obviously everyone's speculating who's the new Alpine driver going to be. I think you were saying Albon, maybe. I don't remember what you were saying. Other people are speculating Daniel Ricciardo. Obviously, a bunch of people are speculating Oscar Piastri, who you mentioned, Alpine's current reserve driver. Um, Side note, he also won the F3 champs in 2020 and the F2 champs in 2021. So, seems like it makes sense. Yeah, I I mean, Alpine was was making comments that uh, saying that Oscar had, you know, contractual obligations through 2023 and, and possibly 2024. Um, which made it seem like they were hinting at uh, the fact that Piastri would be would be driving for them. 
Exactly. And then on Tuesday, we wake up and the first thing that I see is Alpine releases a statement saying that Oscar is going to be driving them in 2023, kind of based off of those contractual obligations. I made a TikTok video about this news update and not 30 minutes later do I see a post from Oscar saying that Alpine basically put out this statement without his agreement, which I was just honestly shook by that and by like the directedness of his Instagram story. Well, it I mean, it clearly seemed like Alpine was was rushing or scrambling yeah. to get something out, right? Normally it includes normally it includes a um a quote by the driver and their announcement didn't have a quote by the driver, which sort of makes you start to think, right? If yeah. if they feel comfortable that Piastri is locked up in a contract, why not wait a day to announce that he's gonna be driving for them? Yeah. Um, rather than rushing something out and, you know, making sure that they've ironed out all the final details. Um, and instead they pushed it out in a way that almost makes it seem like they're marking their territory and trying to prevent someone else from, from grabbing up Piastri, which, you know, sort of makes me think that maybe that contract isn't quite as airtight as, as LP would like it to be. Yeah, exactly. And I guess everyone's trying to figure out what this all means. I think the latest rumor is that McLaren have, told Daniel Ricardo that Oscar's going to be taking his seat next year and that Daniel Ricardo's contract with McLaren is going to end at the end of this year. So that that's a rumor, but I who knows? That news could come out in 10 minutes. <laughs> like I have no idea, but I was personally a little bummed when I saw that news and I I really hope Daniel Ricardo has a has a seat, but I don't know, Oscar obviously I don't think would put out that statement if he didn't have another seat on lock. Yeah. I, I don't even know if he needs to have it on lock, but I think that him putting out that statement is a pretty clear indication, uh, both to other teams. Hey, I'm open for business and, and looking for a contract and to Alpine, if you want me, you're going to have to pay up for it. So yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a smart move on his part. Um, you know, obviously smart moves can always backfire, but he's a, he's a pretty hot commodity in terms of how he did in, in F3 and F2. So I, I think it's a, I, I would say a good strategy overall. Um, it's just generally pretty absurd how, you know, Vettel's retiring is going to shake up the grid so much. Obviously yeah. there's a ton of speculation, uh, but I saw, you know, the last thing that I think I saw was kind of Piastri to McLaren, Danny Rick to Haas, Mick to AlphaTauri, uh, Gasly to Alpine and DeVries to Williams, which would be a huge shakeup. I don't know if, yeah. if that's that actually what's going to plan out, but it's it's a lot of movement from a from a bunch of different directions. So we'll see. I love that speculation. Although I don't know, Gasly, I'm pretty sure is locked with AlphaTauri, so I don't know that Mick could go to AlphaTauri. But yeah, yeah, it's interesting. People are speculating Daniel Ricciardo to Haas, Daniel Ricciardo to alpine and just do like a direct swap people are saying he's leaving f1 i don't know i honestly i could see i could see the direct swap to alpine as well that seems like a more uh you know a less roundabout way gasly's got his got a longer term contract at alfatari maybe mix stays at Haas. yeah right so it makes it a little bit more um tricky to kind of navigate we're, we're talking about breaking a lot of contracts here in order to yeah. to make that lineup work so i could see the direct swap with with uh ricardo to alpine yeah which honestly like could be a 
upgrade on his part in terms yeah. of car performance. I I personally just feel bad because I think I mean I think a lot of people are saying McLaren hasn't really treated him great in this past year. He's uh, honestly, you know, his his standings aren't as high as Lando Norris in terms of points, but he has had a lot of shit go wrong during races where his cars broke down or they boofed his strategy to take your term like using the hards in this past weekend like I think you can't say it's just a driver issue and I think when you're in the midfield of the grid and there's issues with the car then it kind of looks like it's a driver issue and the team isn't going to necessarily own up every single time and be like yeah we boofed his strategy yet again you know so yeah and I think you know I think Ricardo is um positive enough to the point where um like like he positive i i think his personality is amazing and i think that i think that the fans would really like to see him get one more chance and if it's not at mclaren in a different car to go prove that he is kind of the driver that he used to be and and i think he's capable of that and yeah i think he's done a lot of moving around and and hopefully we see kind of a return to form in in different equipment yeah i mean i think that's Fair. The moving around hasn't helped. I think, obviously, my TikTok page is just flooded with Daniel Ricardo fans. They TikTok <laughs> knows me well, so I've seen all the arguments for why Daniel Ricardo is not a washed-up driver. One is, you know, he is the only driver to get a first place for McLaren in the last ten years. So, you know, they're gonna they're gonna say, you know, he's not performing for us when. He is the only one who's gotten a, a first place for them. It's definitely a bummer this this year, especially where he just has had a really tough time. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. I'm sure by the time people are listening, there'll there'll have been some news and some announcement that's that's come out. But I'm excited to see where all of this lands and a little scared. Agreed. Thank you, everyone, for joining us and listening to this podcast. We will be back with another episode after the three-week summer break. We will see the F1 race at the infamous Spa Circuit in Belgium, uh, which will be a few weeks away. Please consider subscribing so you don't miss the episode when when it does come out. In the meantime, we would love for you all to leave a review and share any feedback you have on what you want to hear so we can improve the podcast for you all. Till next time, bye-bye.